0: In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy, hate what is evil, cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Father, again, we thank you for this passage. Really lays out very clearly our responsibilities to one another. And Lord, again, it is the uh, desire of the evil one to divide and conquer a local body of believers. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, strengthen us, that we would continue to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Father, again, it's easy to divide, it's hard to be united, and yet as a body that is very different in so many ways, we ask for your direction, we ask for your conviction, we ask for your strength and power to do that, so that we might be a true glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. you like to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Again, as we look over the passage, we see that uh, Paul has been talking about relationships. And we've been here for about seven weeks, I guess, now. But it's all about relationships. We see relation, the relationship we have with God in verse 1, that we are a living sacrifice. That's what God expects of us as far as relationship to Him. As pertaining our relationship to the world, it says in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we need to not accept what the world says. In fact, we need to go against what the world says by transformation. The third relationship is as it pertains to each each of us. And he says in verses basically 3 to 8, that we are a body, we need to be united. Not diverse. we are diverse, but we don't. We do not need to be divided. We shouldn't be divided. We are different, but unified. And because he wants us unified, he he gives us each a gift, and then that gift allows us to have a contribution to the body, so that nobody can say, "Well, you're not needed," or no one else can say this either. That I'm the end all. So, verses 3 to 8 is our relationship to each other, and we have spiritual gifts, and those gifts need to be used because they create unity within the body. Now we're in a, the part of the passage, verses 9 to 13, our relationship to ourself. What should we be doing? How should we respond as far as what is our, what is our motivations, what are our actions of love Again, that are motivated from within that then proceed to be uh, spilled out on the body. And then 14 to the end of the chapter is our relationship to the world, to those people who are against you. <laughs> but we're going to be in this passage on how do we, how should we be thinking? What, what, what uh, creates within a Christian a long-term perspective of ministering within the body? I'm uh, reminded of a story told by Dennis Rainey. And his point is that it's always dangerous to make assumptions. And as you're in the body of Christ, it's, it's easy to make assumptions. I think you'll know what I mean here. Dennis writes, I am reminded of the businesswoman who found herself with an extra hour of airport downtime. You ever been there? Always make sure, by the way, you get to the airport about two hours early. Now, some people I know like to try to get there an hour early, but sometimes you don't make it on the plane then. But anyway, she had an extra hour of time. She bought a magazine, a coffee, and a small package of cookies, preparing to pass the time as best she could in the crowded waiting area. Absorbed in her reading, she reached over and picked up a cookie to nibble on. To her great surprise, the stranger two seats over reached into the same packet and began eating the second cookie. Stunned, she tried to ignore it. Only after 20 minutes... More quiet minutes did she reach in to take a third cookie and the stranger took a fourth. Then he picked up the near empty package and sarcastically asked, would you like the last one? Infuriated, she marched off in a huff to the airline gate, reached into her bag for her boarding pass and found her unopened package of cookies. (laughs) Now, what can we learn from that? I learned this. Solid relationships are built on effective communication. Now, he was a stranger. She didn't care. But you know, sometimes those same misunderstandings happen in relationships. Uh, Sometimes that has happened in your own family. You may be married to a spouse who does not communicate. And sometimes there's conflict. And, And when you finally communicate, you find out, man, it wasn't that big of a deal after all. But I let it harbor in my soul. Sometimes we find that in families. But, you know, you find that in church as well. And we need to be about the business of communication to keep good chemistry, right? When it comes to sports teams, it's huge that there's good chemistry on the team. In fact, I've heard people say in different different percentages, but 50% of a good team is the actual ability. The other 50% is the mindset and the chemistry of the team itself. We have to keep good chemistry. Therefore, we have to communicate. But to want to communicate with someone means that you actually love them. See, you don't care about, I mean, you don't want to, you don't care to communicate with someone you don't care about. But you do communicate with people who you do care about, who you want to see the relationship stay intact. And that's why I think Paul starts out in verse 9, let, let your love be without hypocrisy. Okay? Let your love be without hypocrisy. Again, in the Greek time frame, hypocrisy had to do with, um, their plays, and people would wear literally masks. And the idea is, depending on the situation, because they didn't have all the scenery and stuff like that, if if they wanted to create sadness, they'd have a certain mask. If they wanted to create anger, they had another mask. And what Paul is saying is, listen, don't wear masks when you are dealing with each other. I don't even know how that looks. Does it look pretty cute? (laughs) Someone got it at a recent prom. Um, But the point is, is, Paul is saying, listen, don't put on false appearance. When it comes to the body of Christ, don't put on false appearance. In other words, let your true goodness be true goodness. Don't put on a charade or a facade or a sham. Don't be deceptive. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is saying one thing and doing another. And sometimes we hide behind the mask. I have found over the years, at times, uh, in helping to try, try to solve conflict, whether it's with myself or others, that uh, perhaps the other person put on a mask. They, it appeared everything was fine, but it really wasn't. Be true. Be genuine. Be genuine. I can definitely understand why he said that in verse 9. After transitioning out of spiritual gifts and saying, serving the body, the issue is this, if you really have love for one another, you're not going to wear a mask. Again, it doesn't mean that you just blow whenever you decide to blow. But the idea is you're going to resolve issues when they're there because you you value the the relationship so so much. Again, as I said last week, uh, the the new uh, new international version uh, uses the word sincere. Okay, let your love be sincere. And again, the word sincere had the idea of no cracks, no wax. Because again, and this was the cup I used. I'm not going to put water in it again just to make a mess. But the idea was this. Uh, back in that day, obviously, they used clay. They used pottery. That's That was for function. And sometimes when they did the pottery, baked it, there would be cracks. Many times the cracks could not be seen. But when they filled it up with water, it would dribble. With water, and what the what the merchants would do would be, be literally plaster wax in those very fine cracks, usually from the inside, and therefore try to sell it as real genuine, something that 's functionable, and yet because it had cracks as soon as it got warm in the sun after by the way the person bought it. They would find that it'd start dripping because the wax would start to melt, and they would use the word sincere. That would literally the Latin word to, to mean that it's whole, it's perfect. There's no wax. That's literally what I mean no wax. There's nothing that's fake about this. It can be used, and it can be productive. I mean, um, it, it can actually have a function. And so Paul is using that concept as well here. Are you are you sincere? Are you true? Are you real? Or are you fake? You know we come, we praise the Lord, thank you, Lord, and we praise His name, but the question is are you is it real is it real in your in your heart when you say praise the Lord is it real would your would your spouse say that's him her, or would they say, you know he never wants to resolve anything he's an angry, frustrated person, she is or whatever and and you say that's not real what you're here is not what you're there again, we don't want to wear masks we we don't want to we want. We do not want to appear one way and actually act another. So love is genuine, if you have your outline. It's love is genuine. It's not only that, but it's discerning. It hates what is evil. It clings to what is good. Sometimes we think we're called, called only to love. Actually, we're called to hate. Now think about that. We're not just called to love. We're called to hate as well. It says in uh, Proverbs 6, These things the Lord hates. Yes, yeah, seven are abomination to Him. Or disgusting them. These are things that are disgusting to the Lord. A proud look. A lying tongue. tongue, One who wants to deceive. Hands that shed innocent blood. In the Lord's people who kill. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. The idea there is, is uh, going along with other people who also do evil. A false witness who speaks lies. It's interesting that lying and deception happens twice in this passage. And one who sows discord among the brethren. See, those are things that God hates. And yet, we are called to hate those same things. In fact, Psalms 97.10, You who love the Lord hate evil, and it's in the imperative. In other words, we must do it. We, We must hate those things that God hates. So, the individual who is never aroused and deeply stirred at evil, I would say this, is gravely deficient in moral character. We should hate those things that are that God hates. Or, to say it this way, you must love passionately and hate passionately. Now, I'll tell you where you can watch TV and see if that happens in your soul. Right? Because there's evil all over the place. The question is... Does it, does it angst us, or is it just entertainment? Do we actually laugh at it? I think we need to be careful. Love what God loves, hate what God hates. Well, he goes on. He says not only love that we must also love, but hate evil. We also cling to what is good, and that word "cling" means to glue. In other words, we need to hold fast to what is good. We need to look at evil and say, I want to move away from that. That's the put off. But then move to the put on of clinging to what is good. We have to hold fast if you say, well, like, just give me some examples. I think as far as in our personal lives, our personal godliness, and our personal holiness, and our personal integrity, we have to hold fast to that. I think it was Billy that prayed. Something like, I, I, I wasn't real focused as far as to, but you know, we can get easily splashed by the sewage of the world. He didn't say it that way, but that's how, yeah, we can get dirtied by this world very quickly. But the question is, how quickly do we take it off? Okay. I mean, do we, do we paddle around in the sewage of the world when we get splashed by it or do we quickly confess it? We find ourselves saying, Lord, I want to have fellowship with you. And yes, I got dirtied by this world. I had the wrong thought, the wrong action, the wrong motivation. But Lord, I want to get back on track because I miss fellowship with you. That's what clinging to what is good. It's doing the opposite, or doing what love would say. You know, as we looked at 1 Corinthians 13 a couple of weeks ago. If I find myself not patient, if I find myself bringing up old sins that were forgiven... Relationally, I need to say, you know, Lord, I don't want to hold that against the person. I want to I wanna to cling to what is good. Because, again, that creates fellowship within the church. That creates fellowship as far as with me, with other believers. So this is the nature of love, that first verse. The nature is to let love be without hypocrisy, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. But then he moves on in verses 10 actually to verse 13 and he and he names 10 different things. It, it really is reminiscent in one sense of First Corinthians 13 where he just says these are the characteristics of love. This is more, more than just characteristics, this is what love does in, in the person. In other words, these should be in my life if true love is there. And there's 10 of them, we'll take 5 this week. If true love is in my heart, then these are the actions of that love. That's the fill-in, actions of love. This is how I would be willing to respond to you if love is truly in my heart, if it's without hypocrisy, if I really hate what is evil and, and cling to what is good. These are going to be developing in my heart. You could, you could name this, pa- this part of the passage, verses 10 to 13, the, the uh, duties in the family of God or the actions of love or love in action, any of those type of things. The idea is, you know, we always say love is a verb. Love is action, but now Paul is actually saying, listen, if you really have love in your heart, if you really do, then this is how it's going to be lived out in your life as it pertains to others. Because we could say, I have love, but he says, well, let's test that with, uh, with, with these 10 different statements. Let's see if love is truly in your heart, because if it is, these will happen and be developing. Uh, the first one is this. We will be devoted in brotherly love to one another. We'll be devoted in brotherly love. Uh, verse part of verse 10, it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another. New American, again, says, Be devoted with brotherly love. All right, so, and notice the one another. See, again, he has the connection, but he's saying, Listen, this is going to be in your heart and is going to be produced in your heart so that you are kindly affectionate to one another. If you really have love, this is going to be there. I find it interesting that, you know, you know that there are four types of love. One is eros, that's not found in the passage. But the other is agape, phileo, and storge. All different meanings, you know, agape being the highest, that's God's type of love, God is love, agape. But then you had phileo, which is like a friendship, and sometimes we think, well, that's a secondary, but really that type of love also says, listen, you're my friend, and a friend loves at all times. And storge has um, more like just uh, like this, like I, I like being around you. Okay, some people say, "Well, I love you, but I don't like you." Well, that's not to me. I'm saying, I'm just saying, you know, generically, I've heard that. Well, Storgay is even beyond that. It says, "Listen, I don't. Need, I not only want to commit myself to you, and not only do I want to have a friendship love with you, but I actually learn to like you, okay? Because you're worth it. You're, you're part of the family." So Paul says, "Listen, we." This, these last two, storge is exactly what we find in kindly affectionate. There's two words. Both of, those were, both of those Greek words appear to combine to make that phrase, okay? To be kindly affectionate to one another. So again, this is a, a friendship type love. In fact, it says kindly. Now think about the word kind. The first three letters in that is what? Kin. Actually, that's where Kindly actually comes from. It's kin. We Kin. We're like kin. Paul says, listen, treat each other like kin. You know, when it comes to the the love of a parent towards a child, it's not ber- uh, uh, based on personal attraction. Do you realize that? Isn't that thankfully? <laughs> okay? See, we don't look at our children and say, well, yeah, she's beautiful. We'll love her. Kind of ugly, that one. So, eh. No. No, when it by the way, I don't do the same thing with anybody in my family, my sisters. I don't, I don't depend. It's not, I'm not trying to determine whether I love my sisters, whether or not they're beautiful. No, they're kin. And so Paul uses that idea of kin here and he says, listen, we need to love each other not because they're, they're attractive or desirable, it's because they're part of the family. It's that horizontal, it's that Proverbs again, 17, that says a friend loves at all times. So again, these words mean that in respect to the love of a Christian brother or sister, we are to be marked by a devotion that is characteristic of a loving, close-knit, and mutually supportive family. That's, That's how we should be. And it should be very natural. I mean, this is not something that is unnatural as far as if we've been born again and placed into the family of God. This should just be an obvious, that we are kin. In fact, I believe this, because we have the same Lord and because the Spirit of God is in us, that our attraction and our connection with each other should be even greater than your own blood. Why? Because many, many of you have, and I do too, have relatives who are not born again, who are, do not have the Spirit of God within them. And so we have a stronger bond together than even what you would have with them. So he said, Be kindly affectionate to one another, again, with brotherly love. That's the word Philadelphia. You know, that's, I've been told that Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. You can walk anywhere in Philadelphia and not fear. (laughs) I remember years ago, (laughs) I think I've told you this, but years ago in New Jersey. Uh, we always come from New Jersey, go through Philly to come home, you know, on our annual trip to New Jersey. And uh, this one time, somehow, I don't know how we did it. I was riding with my dad. My, my soul was behind us in the van. And we accidentally got off the wrong ex- We got off an exit. You don't get off an exit in Philly. You go, you stay on the... But we got off the exit. And, uh, you know, and my dad, you know, he had the windows down and stuff like that. And, and all of a sudden, we, I mean, like, it was that quick. You know, <laughs> and then all of a sudden like a, a third of the windows were broken in the buildings, you know, and some of them were boarded up. And I that was the first time I ever heard my dad say, uh, lock the doors and roll up the windows, you know. Um Yeah, there was, well, they're not the brotherly love, but, but as far as us, we need to be the church of brotherly love. We need to literally work out like John 13 says, By this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now that word there is agape. But if you have agape, then you really should have brotherly love, that connectedness like a family does. And it should be just again, as one man said, he said, A true child of God knows intuitively that we are to love our spiritual brothers and sisters. In other words, we're more marked by that devotion. If you find that in your life there's not that devotion to other believers, you have to start asking the question. Because First John, in his epistle, 1 John, asks it over again. Like, if you've been born again by the God of love, and you don't have love for your brother, then how can you say that you've been born again? I mean, he keeps making that point in First John 2, 1 John 3. The idea is this, if I've been born again by the God of love, then that should be in my heart. It's, it's just natural that it would be in my heart to have love, not only for God, but for each other. Now, that's huge, because we're so different. We come from different races and backgrounds and nationalities. We come from different economical uh, places and you know, some of us are male, some of us are female, and some of us like the Yankees, and most of us don't. But I mean, you know that. <laughs> Dale, just stay there, okay? Don't. But isn't that, I mean, isn't that true? I mean, how many of you like the Bills? Three of you. See? <laughs> no. No, but the, I mean, even that, you might be looking at me like, ooh, I can't believe you. You know, we make jokes and some of you don't even think it's funny. And, and, (laughs) no. Now, now, I mean, think about this. Now, I mean, really think about this. How different we are. And I've, I've been mentioning this a few times because, you know, it is just striking to me how different we really are. And that, yet we're supposed to be committed to each other because we're part of the body of Christ. But I mean, again, some of you like pizza and other you don't. Chicken wings, why? You know, but I like, you know, uh, Alfredo or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just the, all the differences, and, he, and yet God puts you all in the family, and He says, I want you to not only get along, I want you to be committed to each other. That's a hard one. Some of you like hymns, other of you don't. You like praise music. Some of you say, why do you even have a piano? You know, we went through that. Or why should we have an organ? We shouldn't have an organ. We don't have an organ. But I mean, that was a... And You know, and... And yet we're all supposed to get along and love each other. And sometimes it's those little, insignificant, non-whatever that really starts to get under the skin. And yet we're supposed to have kindly affectionate to one another. We're supposed to function well together. It's kind of like that song. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Yeah, we should be here like it is above. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We have to endeavor. That takes work. So the first thing is we're devoted to each other. The second one is to prefer one another. We need to prefer. Not only devoted, but actually the next thing plays off of that in honor, giving preference to one another. Uh, the word preference has the idea, the, the literal meaning, literal, is to go before. Okay? So preference is to go before or to lead. The idea is to set an example. Now some might say, what are you you're supposed to go before like better than? No, no. He's saying, Listen, set the example to to give preference to one another. Set the example of, of esteeming others better than yourself. Or to say it this way, uh, don't wait around for people to recognize your contribution and praise you. Instead, be alert to what they are contributing, and honor them. Be willing to honor and value others before yourself. Again, it goes back to Philippians 2, where it says esteeming others better than yourself. That's not hard. I mean, that's, that's not easy at times. Why? Because we're selfish, you know. And uh, sometimes it's easy to want to have the accolades. Or maybe not to give preference and to believe all things about another person to think the best. But Romans, again, if you since you're in Romans, Romans 12 verse 3 says this. Remember when we went through this, it says, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So we need to think humble. Not low, you know, not high means that I'm better than. High means that you need to serve me. Uh, The opposite of that is that I serve you. It doesn't mean that I'm groveling at the dirt. It means that I'm humble. It means that it's not about me. Quite honestly, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about His plan. But He's telling us that He wants us to prefer one another, to give preference, and to even do this in in a proactive way. In other words, to be the example. We should be the example to each other to prefer one another. I should be proactively reaching out so that you know you're valued and you're loved and you're appreciated and you're cared for. And you should do the same for each other, right? We should all do that for each other. So this idea is that we value, and let me give you some ways we do it. We value each other by, again, showing genuine appreciation and admiration for one another. Really? I mean like this. This is how it plays out. Take a person. I won't pick you out because I don't want to... Embarrassed, but I'm thinking of a person, and I'm thinking of a person, and I very much value the fact that she is so committed to the Word of God, and that she is able also to pass on truth to others about what she knows. Okay, now that's that's just an example, and I just literally did that just as I was talking. I thought I'd give you an example, but that's how we should think of each other. Right, there should actually be an excitement when we come to church, even as we're looking around and say, "Man, are we a blessed church? Are we a church that real? I mean, I really just—I mean, like, even if you just take the people here <laughs> that do the music, I mean, we are so blessed, and yet sometimes maybe no one even knows. So one of the way we value each other is even just saying it. Versus, what's the opposite of that? Instead of doing that, it's—it's it's to be jealous and envious. To actually cut down and cynically, uh, you know, try to destroy—you wouldn't mean to destroy ministry, but many times out of jealousy and envy, just that's it, one example of a sin. It can create a lot of problems. Well, they don't do it my way, therefore I don't like it. Well, that can be a lot, That can really hurt the ministry. I was reading about uh, seagulls. Seagulls are a real cantankerous group. They really are. You don't want to be a seagull. <laughs> They look so nice and white and you know, but then again they're scavengers. But the point is, if you take a a ribbon yeah, maybe I shouldn't tell you this because some of you would probably try to do this. But if you take a ribbon and you tie it around one seagull's leg, like a red ribbon, they will the other group, because they're so like uniformist, you know, and like they're so like jealous of having, you know, whatever someone else has or another They'll actually attack that one seagull because it's different than the rest. Trying to get at that ribbon, they'll actually mutilate the thing. So now Ben is going to try that. Is that really true? No, don't do that. But the point is, you know, sometimes we're different. And because someone's different, maybe we even do that somewhat attack. But again, we want to prefer. We want to honor. We want to esteem. Let me give you one other way that we can, actually two other ways that we can value or honor or prefer one another. Not only by sharing what we appreciate about them, but the other way is this, just doing your spiritual gift to the very best of your ability. If you're called to teach, well, I think, see, I think that's why he says, in teaching, I mean, just go back up to the, a few verses up there. If ministering, use it in our ministering. He who teaches and teaching, he who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, put your whole heart into it. Put your whole heart into it. Do it to the best of your ability. Why? Because you're, you're preferring those that you're serving. If you teach Sunday school, make sure you pray for your students. Make sure you put time into the lesson. Make sure you come prepared walking with God. Make sure that you're focused because you're seeking to bless them through, you know, God blessing you. God blessing those people through you. So we give our best. And by the way, if you're in the class, you're not talking and, you know, everything else, right? I mean, even that's just... That's common sense, right? I mean, because you want to honor the teacher for doing, you know, in the right sense of not talking and texting and you're focused and yada, yada, yada. One, a third way that you can um, honor or prefer one another is by staying the course in your relationships with others. That you would have true commitment, true loyalty, true faithfulness. And many of us and most of you do. I mean, again, but these are things, you know, how do you give preference, again, to one another? It's, it's what's in my heart. It's in, it's got to be in my heart that I value. That's the point. I value you. I value you. I value your differences. I value your spiritual giftedness. I value the fact that you're even in this church. How about a third one? Verse 11. Not lagging in diligence. That word diligence, again, appeared in verse 8. He who leads with diligence, same word. Do not lag in diligence. The the word lag means lazy. Don't be lazy in diligence. In regard to what you ought to be doing, don't be lazy. That's his point. That's a literal, from uh, James Boyce, a literal translation. The idea is whatever you're supposed to be doing, get about doing it. So, this right here is an action statement. I mean, they're all action statements, but this is really an action statement. Don't be lazy. But be diligent. Whatever the believer is supposed to do in the, in the supernatural, in the spiritual realm, then get about it. So, this is talking about enthusiasm. Do you like enthusiastic people? People that like put their whole heart into it? Like uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9... Um, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Yeah, do it with all your might. Do it with earnestness. Do it with haste. Now again, I don't know where you're serving in your spiritual gift, but do it with haste. Do it with earnestness and urgency. How about uh, how you serve your family as a spouse? Wives? I know he's irritating. But are you still serving him with your whole heart? At times we are irritating as men, not as much as women are. But no, some. <laughs> I should not say that. I'm going to dig my. Did someone say something over here? Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, we are different. I remember thinking about that when I was younger, as a young married, thirties, and I thought women and men are not that different. I mean, sure, physically we're different, but I mean, you know, no, we're different. We're really different. But this is putting your whole heart into whatever God has called you to do. You know, if it's, if it's being a Christian, one guy said this, It is puzzling to me how anyone can take on the most important business of all, that is the business of being a follower of Jesus Christ, and do it in a passive, apathetic, part-time, and slovenly way. Isn't that, isn't that kind of interesting? He has saved you for glory... You know you're going to get rewards as you walk with him. And yet some people walk the Christian life very apathetically. Now again, we need to be devoted to Jesus Christ. We need to see that these few years we walk on this earth determines our eternity. I don't mean heaven or hell. I'm saying rewards and responsibilities in heaven for eternity. So again, don't in diligent. What has God called you to do? Well, one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Him, He's your Savior, He's your Lord, we need to do it with our whole heart. By the way, if you are not a believer, if you never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that means your sin is still on you. And you will be judged for those sins and condemned to hell. Very, very serious business. But if you have put your faith in Him, let's put our... You know we'd be devoted he he 's our first love. Let me give you another one if if you 're a fam if you 're a father or a mother, are you devoted to your family again, obviously, you should be as a spouse we've already said a few things on that. I think to myself that raising a family takes a lot of work. Would you agree with that and by the way don't they grow up quick Whew. and Christian love demands that this too be done steadily and without being lazy. Children will not raise themselves in godliness. Left to themselves, they will grow up like an untended garden full of weeds and other wild things. We need to really be diligent when it comes to our family. A few times over the years I've tried to do a garden. I say try because I always lose interest. And it's so nice, the ground is so looks so great, you know, clean dirt, let's plant the seeds, it's pretty easy, you know, and, da, 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 da. and after a few days, you know, they start to sprout, this is really great, you know, and then you give it about a month, and then like, where are those radishes anyways? Because weeds, and when it comes to children, they can't raise themselves, we need to be proactive, we need to be picking out those weeds. So in our spiritual life, we need to be focused. In our family lives, we need to be focused. But also within the church, we need to be focused. Galatians 6, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, the idea of opportunity is a fixed amount of time. You only have this opportunity. Fixed amount of time. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See, This is where the body of believers are so different. I don't know what the Lord has put on your life, and I don't know who the Lord has put in your life. But again, if the Lord is in your life and you're a believer, be passionate and urgent about serving Him, not lagging in diligence. If you have a family, or if you're married and then have a family, or just married, then be diligent about your responsibilities. If you're in the body of Christ, be diligent about that I mean, if you 're serving, do it with diligence don 't be lazy, so in other words, evaluate your life and say, "Is there any area that i 'm just lazy in this particular part of my life?" Uh, Paul is saying, "Listen, give your whole heart because this is such a short time on this earth. Serve the Lord with just a sense of urgency and passion. The Puritan writer, Richard Baxter wrote this: He says, "I preached as never sure to preach again." and as dying man to dying men. And he says, every time I, I walk into the pulpit, and I would add this, every time that we are just another day, we should think, well, maybe there, maybe there won't be another day. Let's give it my all. I've been noticing in the, uh, the obituaries, not that I read them, although I, I remember my grandfather. You know, That was the, the point of conversation when I go over my grandfather St. George's. He would always tell who died. I mean, like that was like the top, you know, not who's played the sports and not what were the, but who died. And, um, you know, what funerals he was going to go to. But I've been noticing, boy, younger and younger are dying suddenly. Does that scare us? It shouldn't scare us. But what we should say is this, live your life every day for the Lord, right? We don't know the time or the hour. How about this one? This kind of plays off this. The second part of verse 11, not lagging and diligent, what? Opposite, fervent in spirit. We're not lagging in diligence is the action, fervent in spirit is the attitude. Again, fervent. It means to boil with heat. Now think about boiling. You know, think about that is though, uh, with water, it doesn't start immediately. You know, it's just heat, hot, hot, and then all of a sudden it breaks into a boil. So here he's saying, you know, boiling in the Spirit. Not, by the way, the Spirit is not capital S, it's small s. It's, it's within yourself. There should be a fervency within yourself. Uh, enthusiasm. Again, we had the negative with lagging and diligence. This is the positive. So here's Paul hitting it twice. And boiling doesn't mean boiling over. Some of you boil over, but it's, it's with passion, but it's in the wrong sense. <laughs> Explosion. No, no. This is, this is a boiling that actually is productive. It's uh, used of a steam engine which has enough heat being produced to get the work done. The idea is it's abundant. And it's, it's referring to passion for ministry. You know, having your spiritual priority such that, you know what, my, spirit, my spiritual priority should be, let's go back. It should be walking with the Lord, like we just said. It should be uh, uh, for my wife. It should be that as my children, they're growing up quick, and I need to put time in. It should be even for my grandkids. Now, I should have passion for them. I I need to watch it because sometimes I have passion for other things that maybe are not bad, but they're really insignificant to the long-term perspective. Right, long-term priorities. You know, sometimes we get into watching a a particular series of of uh, movies. Well, that's fine. I mean, it's not, but that's not a priority. Um, seeing certain financial goals in my life. That's, that's important, but that's not, that can't be the priority. And you have to keep going back and saying, all right, let's be fervent. There's a lot of people that are fervent, but for the wrong thing. It's not just about being fervent. It's about being fervent for the right things. It is said of Apollos in Acts 18, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. This is the only other time this phrase is used. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. So he was fervent for the Lord. Fervent for the things of the Lord. Would to God that we would be fervent for the things of the Lord. Be enthusiastic. Again, we have to be careful because it's easy. It is easy to get enthusiastic, but for the wrong things. And again, uh, talk about chemistry of the team. Chemistry of the church. There should be a good... I, I believe there is a good chemistry here. But you have to work to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It says in uh, Proverbs that a whisperer separates uh, the closest of friends. And, you know, attitude, because we're talking about attitude here, is very contagious. You know that attitude is very contagious. Attitude and the chemistry of a, a group of people can easily be destroyed. And sometimes it's not through whispering. It's just by a question. What do you think of the pastor's preaching? Now, think about that. What do you think about the way the epic is being done this year? Um, What do you think about, you know, I'm just not sure. What do you think about the music of the church? What do you think about Frank prinzi 's teaching? I think it's great. But see, sometimes people ask questions, and quite honestly, if they ever asked directly, they'd say, Well, I didn't talk against you, but sometimes the question and the implication by the way, I'm never I'm not saying you can't ever ask a question, but you know, it's like that lady with the cookie. You know, go to the source. Get it right. John MacArthur said, one of the oldest blights on earth is this. Lack of enthusiasm, or sometimes when you have enthusiasm in the wrong way. So, attitude. And I, I bring up those things that are said because sometimes that works against attitude or the, the chemistry of the church. So be careful. I had a uh, interesting story. They they uh, I think it's John Maxwell tells. He said, there's only one thing more contagious than a good attitude, and that's a bad one. For some reason, many people think it's chick to be negative. I suspect that they think it makes them appear smarter or more important. But the truth is that the negative attitude hurts rather than helps that person who who has it. He said to see how quickly and easily an attitude or mindset can spread. Just think about this story from Norman Cousins. Once during a football game, a doctor at the first aid station treated five people for what he suspected might be food poisoning. He soon discovered that all five people had bought drinks from a particular concession stand at the stadium. The physician required, requested that the announcer advise people in the stadium to avoid buying drinks from a particular vendor because of the possibility of food poisoning. Can you imagine that one? <laughs> Moving away from. Before long, more than 200 people complained of food poisoning symptoms. Nearly half of the people's symptoms were so severe that they were taken to the hospital. The story doesn't end there, however. After a little more detective work, it was discovered that the five original victims had eaten tainted potato salad from one particular deli on the way to the game. When the other sufferers found out that the drinks in the stadium were safe, they experienced a miraculous recovery. Again, it goes to show an attitude spreads very quickly. An attitude spreads very quickly. And then finally, look at the last one here in verse 11. Serving the Lord. So again, the one another's not lagging in diligence. We need to make sure that we're fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's the point, serving the Lord. That's the direction of our passion. Yes, I'm serving you, but I'm serving the Lord. So the focus of this fervency, this boiling, this consistency, this enthusiasm, again, this zeal, is because we're serving the Lord. We have to keep that in mind. I mean, that's why Paul in Colossians was able to say this to this end I labor, and he meant I am exhausted. Growing weary, the idea, striving, agonizing according to his working, which he works in me mightily. Paul says, Listen, I'm willing to give it all. But it's not for you, it's because of Him. And I have found in my ministry, and I know you have found in yours, if you're going to have the long term, it has to be because you're doing it for Him. I remember uh, Patty Foster. I don't think she would mind me sharing this. I think I've heard her share it in public before. But Patty was, has been a dear friend, and Patty and Bill. And... Uh, she was our secretary for a number of years here. So we had a number of conversations. And I remember one time she was struggling with something Billy was doing, you know, as far as the direction of the family and whatever. And and Patty just said, you know, I'll submit to that man. I think she called him that man. Not because of him, but because of him. And, you know, I, I think to myself, whether it's submission whether it's loving, whether it's serving. We don't do it because of you. And you don't do it because of me. We do it because of him, right? That's what's going to keep you fervent in spirit, is I'm serving the Lord because people will frustrate us. But the Lord has called us to service. And if you focus on him, you'll be a long-termer. You'll be a marathoner. Let's stand as we worship him. Bible Institute, and I'm reminded of something that D.L. Moody said many, many, many years ago uh, before he died, and it was about service. He said this, We may easily be too big for God to use, but never too small. Let's be humble before the Lord. Father, again, we thank you for these thoughts, and we ask that we would, first of all, be committed to you to love you with all our heart, but also that we might love our neighbor as ourselves, especially those who are the household of faith. Father, again, we thank you for your plan of redemption, for saving us, for placing us into the family. May we be the type of children that bring you glory. Father, I pray that you would remind us of the cross and the glories of the cross, and yet may Jesus Christ be our song. Again, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us so that we may serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen.